Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you today. Glad that you're here with us. I want to welcome those who are watching on Facebook Live in this service. We welcome you as well. So glad you can be a part of our service in this way. Our hearts go out today to folks along the Gulf Coast uh, who have suffered from Hurricane Laura in past days. And uh, Southern Baptists are there. Our Southern Baptist Disaster Relief set up in the parking lot of Trinity Baptist Church in Lake Charles, Louisiana, uh, sharing meals uh, in concert with Salvation Army, two working together to provide meals for those who are suffering. Uh, their uh, chainsaw teams are working. Uh, Oklahoma Baptists are called out, and all of their teams have come down to Lake Charles. And so we, we pray for those, and as you give your offerings every week, you're a part of that. You're having a part of that today because part of our offerings through our cooperative program goes to Southern Baptist Disaster Relief and provides for that. And we pray for those folks. We're glad to be a part of that. Today I want to share with you about uh, Judgment Day and hell. Now, some people don't like to hear about Judgment Day and hell, but the, if it's real, we ought to talk about it, right? It's just like if Cindy and I were driving by your house, and we saw smoke coming from the uh, gable and fire shooting out from the roof line, and we had a conversation. You think we should... Looks like their car's home. Looks like they're home. You think we ought to stop and tell them that their house is on fire? Well, I don't want to scare them. You know, that'd probably scare them. So you don't want to, and I don't like to be negative. Do you? No, I like to be positive. I don't like to be negative. So let's just drive on by. Would that be a loving thing to do? If it was real, the most loving thing to do would be to stop and urgently bang on the door and say, your house is on fire. Get out. Right? So if judgment day is real... And if hell is real, then the most loving thing that we could do would be to talk about that, right? Pew Research, uh, which does surveys, said, um, this is about five years old now, most recent statistics we have, uh, 58% of Americans believe that there is a hell. 42% either uh, don't believe there is or are not sure. Of course, among evangelicals, that goes up to 82%, but still ne nearly two out of uh, Ten evangelicals are not sure if there's a hell. So we need to see what the Bible has to say about that. I'm sharing a series of sermons through Second Peter titled Knowing and Growing. First, Second Peter 1 was about how to know God. Second Peter 2 is about false knowledge of God. There are some who think they know God and there don't. It's about false teachers, as we saw last week. And at the end of the passage, just to, to catch up with where we were last week, in case you're new here, at the end of the passage in, in chapter 2, verse 3, last week, it said of these false teachers that, um, that they're going to hell. It says that their condemnation, 2 Peter 2, 3, has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. And so, uh, Peter said that there is real condemnation and real destruction. It's hanging over these folks. But some of these false teachers probably seem to be doing real well. It said in this passage they have a big following. It sounded like they were prospering. And so, what's the evidence that there really is a judgment day uh, that there really is a hell. Well, in this passage then, Peter is going to share the evidence for that. And he does it in one long sentence with four conditional phrases and then a conclusion. In other words, this passage that we're going to look at says, if this, if this, if this, and if this, then this. 
You get the idea of what it's saying here? Here's four stories from the Old Testament he's going to tell that are evidence that they reveal the character of God that we can expect a judgment day and a hell. So he's four things from the past that give us evidence to believe that there's a judgment day coming in the future. Let me give you an example of this type of sentence so you can get the idea. Suppose, uh, suppose somebody said, I think the University of Tennessee football team is going to win the SEC championship game this year. And you, you might say, well, I'm not sure about that. But, well, what if somebody said, but if they beat Alabama, and if they beat Florida, and if they beat Georgia, and if they beat Auburn, then I believe there's a good chance to win the SEC championship game. You might say, well, if those things are true, then it's more believable, right? That's the exact type of sentence that we're about to go through here in this passage. If these four things are true, then it's plausible there's coming a judgment day in hell. So let's dive and look at it. Let's look at these four Old Testament stories that show us the character of God and point to a coming judgment day. First of all, number one, the first uh, is that when the angels sinned, God sent them to hell to be held for judgment. First example, first story, when the angels sinned, God sent them to hell to be held for judgment. That's in verse 4. Look at verse 4. For if, you hear that first conditional clause there? For if God did not spare angels when they sinned. So, God created millions of angels, the Bible says, thousands upon thousands, to be his messengers, to be his servants. But apparently God gave them the same moral capacity that he gave us. He gave them freedom of choice. And some of these angels sinned. We don't know a lot about this. There are only a very few passages like this that speak of it. So we don't know a lot of detail. But some of these angels rebelled against God. Their leader was an angel who we now call Satan or the devil, who's the head of these angels. And these sinful angels were called demons in the Bible. And so some of these angels rebelled. We don't know when it happened, except that it must have happened between the time of creation being completed. At the end of Genesis 1, God said he'd made everything and it was very good. But then at Genesis 3, you have the presence of an evil devil in the form of a serpent tempting Adam and Eve in the garden. So sometime before uh, Genesis 3, there was a, a rebellion in heaven. There were these angels that God created with his choice and they sinned. Now, it says here that God did not spare them when they sinned, but sent them to hell. The word hell there is not the word Gehenna for the end of time, the, the lake of fire, but it is the word Tartarus, only time. Sounds like something on your teeth, I know, but it's the word Tartarus, only time that this word is found in the New Testament, and it's sort of a temporary place. I think it's a place of torment. You see, I believe that when uh, you, if you were to die, Today, having believed in Jesus Christ, you're going to go to paradise, that's heaven, and then at judgment day, you're going to go be in the new heaven and the new earth. Well, in the similar fashion, I believe that if you reject Jesus Christ, you're held in a place of torment. Judgment day, it does not reveal your destiny. You already know that destiny, but at judgment day confirms that. So these angels are held in a place of torment or, or hell. Uh, sent to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. So paradise is that place that we go with God uh, and to be, we're held for, we're reserved for the new heaven and new earth. We're with Christ there forever. And uh, similarly, there is this place of torment where they're held. Now, we wonder about that because 
are the demons held uh, uh, in chains of darkness for judgment? Doesn't it say in the New Testament that demons seem to be loose on the earth? Doesn't it seem today that demons seem to be loose? There were demons that, that uh, it possessed people and Jesus cast them out in the New Testament. So how is it that they are in hell held in chains for judgment? Well, it could be that there are two groups of demons and that some of them are being held and some of them are loose. You remember that Jesus, when he cast the demons out of the man at Gadarene, they begged him, don't send us into the abyss. I think the abyss is the same as Tartarus here. Don't send, we don't want to go there before the appointed time. Uh, so it may be that some are there. Um, it, it speaks of in Revelation that a, a beast is going to come up out of the abyss, and demons are going to come up out of the abyss. Maybe there's a, a release or a breaking free at the end, end of time where there's more activity. So maybe there are two groups of demons, or another way of understanding this verse, and I'm not sure which is true, is that, that all demons are somehow restrained. In Second Thessalonians, Paul says that there's coming a man of lawlessness when that which restrains him is removed. So maybe it, when it says they're in chains of darkness, that yes, demons are in our world, but there is some restraint upon them. Um, and, but whatever the case, we don't understand all these things, but the point is God didn't spare angels when they sinned, so he's not going to spare humans when they sin. The, the, what has happened to angels uh, is an example for us that this is the character of God that he is just and he judges, and so they are held for judgment. The second example that he gives us, that there is coming a judgment day, secondly, God destroyed the ancient world by a flood. So here's the second story from the Old Testament that's going to point to the truth of judgment and of hell. It's in verse 5. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. So the second line of evidence is from Genesis chapter 6, where it tells us that the world became so evil that every thought and inclination of man all the time was on evil. And because of that, God regretted he had made humanity, the Bible says, and he was going to wipe it clean and make a new, new start, clean slate. And Noah, it says, found favor with God, found grace in the eyes of God. And Peter says here in this verse that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So as, God, as Noah was building the ark, as God instructed him to, he was preaching. But nobody responded to his invitation except his own family members. This verse says he and seven others, his family, so eight of them. And after the ark was finished and God's timing was right, they went into the ark and it says God shut the door and then the earth was destroyed by water. Now God promised after that that he would never destroy the earth by water again and he set a rainbow in the sky uh, as a sign of that promise. That type of event is never going to happen again. But God is going to judge in a similar way and even though it will not be with water, it is an indication that God judges sin and that there's coming a time of judgment and punishment. The third example that he gives, the third conditional clause in verse 6, is that God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by fire. 
verse 6, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them as an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. So in Genesis 19, it tells about these two wicked cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, and that God destroyed them by raining burning sulfur down from heaven upon them. I don't know if this was a natural phenomena that God used for judgment. Did a volcano erupt nearby and God directed that lava flow down on these cities? I don't know. Or was it a supernatural judgment of fire coming from heaven? I don't know. But God destroyed these cities by fire. And Peter's going to tell us in the next chapter, when we get to chapter 3, that our earth will be destroyed similarly by fire. Our earth is reserved for fire. So Sodom and Gomorrah is a model of what's going to happen to our earth. You see the word there uh, in um, verse 6, he made them an example of what is going to happen. So the word example there means a model or a pattern. It's used in the book of Hebrews when the writer of Hebrews talks about the earthly temple, and he says the earthly temple with its sacrifice is an example or a model, same word is here, of what's in heaven. So God had them design the temple to give us just a picture of how to get to heaven through the blood sacrifice of a perfect sacrifice. We could approach God. So he gave us a model of heaven on earth, and in Sodom and Gomorrah, he gave us a model of hell on earth. This is an example, he said, of what will happen to the ungodly. You know, there is, um, in our society today, a lot of talk about justice. Especially among younger generations today, there's a great yearning for justice. And there's great outcry in our society right now about people that they see have not received justice from the police or from other people. And I know on top of that are all these layers of of violence and rioting and looting. But if, but if you take that away, there you have to acknowledge there is, in younger generations today, some passion for justice. They're concerned about that. So let me say to you, if I'm speaking to anyone like that, and you have a heart for justice, where does that come from? Where does your passion for justice come from? It comes from a God who is just. And you see, if when there is injustice in our world, you can be sure that God, who is a God of perfect justice, is not going to let it get by forever. And Sodom and Gomorrah is a model that God will right every injustice. And that people may get by with injustice in this life, but there is coming a judgment day of which Sodom and Gomorrah is a model. And you can take confidence in the fact that God is just. And I would say to you, if you're a young person and, and you're searching for something today, I would have you to consider that there is no other worldview that provides you a basis for justice other than Christian worldview. Where are you going to find, where does this justice come from? Where will you find a basis for justice? Not in Darwinism, not in the worldview of materialism, because that only says that survival of the fittest is just a dog-eat-dog -dog world. You won't find justice there. It's only who can survive. Certainly not in socialism. Socialism has not produced justice 
in the experiments of, of communist countries who have tried it, and that has fallen. The only place that you'll find a basis for justice is in the God of the Bible, who is the source of justice, who himself is altogether just, who will right every wrong and will punish everything that has gone unpunished, because there is coming a day of judgment of which Sodom and Gomorrah is an example to us. Now, there's a fourth illustration, a fourth conditional clause, and here Peter switches it up a little bit, and the number four evidence is that God rescued Lot. These first three have been about judgment and destruction, but now Peter flips the side, and here's one of rescue in the midst of judgment. Look at it in verse four, uh, verse seven, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deed he saw and heard. And so here is the fourth example, comes from that destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, but here is a story of rescue. Lot lived in Sodom. Lot was Abraham's nephew, And God revealed to Abraham ahead of time that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham interceded for those cities and said, Oh, if there could be only ten righteous men there, would you spare them? Well, there were not ten righteous men there. And God brought his judgment. But God, in his mercy, before he judged those cities, he sent angels to retrieve, to rescue Lot from the city. And the angel said, we're about to destroy this city. Get everyone, tell everyone who, in your family to come with you. And so Lot told his daughters and his sons-in-law uh, that God was going to destroy the city. We've got to leave. And his sons-in-law, the Bible says, thought that he was joking. A lot of people think it's, it's a joke about, about coming judgment. And Lot's sons-in-law did, and they, they would not leave. So Lot and his wife and his two daughters, the four of them, fled the city, and uh, Lot's wife turned back and was turned to a pillar of salt, and so only the three of them escaped. And Peter says that, that he rescued Lot, a righteous man. And we read the Old Testament story and say, well, he didn't seem real righteous to me. They had to drag him out of there. But the righteousness is the righteousness that he accepted the invitation. You see, neither Noah nor Lot were saved because they were good enough to be saved. You got to get that. They were righteous. Their righteousness was that they admitted their unrighteousness and accepted the opportunity for rescue. That's how you're made righteous. And so Lot, all certainly not perfect. I'm glad God rescues imperfect people, aren't you? But Lot was deemed righteous because he accepted that rescue. You see, we want justice for other people, but none of us really wants justice for ourselves, do we? I don't. I want mercy. I I want better than justice because I know what I deserve. So both Lot and Noah and you don't really want justice for yourself. You want better than justice. You want mercy. And the good news is that the God of justice is also a God of mercy who doesn't want anyone to perish and offers to all the opportunity to be saved and that if you'll put your faith in him, if you'll accept the opportunity for rescue, then he rescues. 
He's a rescuing God who treats us far better than we deserve and gives us his grace. And that's the fourth example. And so then we come to the conclusion phrase. Since these four things are true, because God didn't spare the angels, but sent them to hell, holding them for judgment. And God destroyed the world by water with a flood the days of Noah. And God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah by fire. Then the fourth thing is, therefore, or the the conclusion, therefore God knows how to rescue the godly and hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. There's our conclusion. It's in verse 9. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. We can be sure of that because we have evidence that that has been his nature and the way he works throughout history. Where did Peter get these comparisons that he made? I submit to you he wrote these in his letter because he had heard them from Jesus. I want to conclude by reading to you one more passage. It's Luke 17, beginning at verse 26. This is the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus said, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who's on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, and the other left. Jesus is the first one to make these comparisons. And Jesus emphasized two things about the coming of Judgment Day in hell. It will come unexpectedly to most. Did you get that? The eating and drinking come unexpectedly to most. Not to us, hopefully. Hopefully you're ready for that. The second thing he emphasized is there'll be division. As some of those angels are still with God and some were sent to hell. As some in the days of Noah were on the ark and some were not. As some in the days of Lot escaped from Sodom and some did not. So Jesus emphasized in the days of Son of Man, two people be in one bed, husband, wife, one taken, one left. Two people be working. They, they look the same. They're doing the same job in the same factory. But there's a difference inside of those who have recognized the righteous justice of God and realized I need his mercy and have accepted his offer of mercy and there'll be a, a division, separation. Peter says, judgment day and hell are real and that'll change how we live. 
That should cause us to seek his rescue. And that should cause us to be concerned about other people whose house is on fire. Because if their house really is on fire, and we go through our lives and say nothing to them, because we don't want to be negative, we don't want to scare people, and it's just not proper, and we've missed the reality of what the Bible says about judgment. Yeah. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord God, right now some of us need to, to pray that we will be bold witnesses for you, that we will not left, leave unspoken the great need to share a warning with those who are in the path of your wrath. Lovingly, kindly, and gently help us to truthfully and boldly share your good news. And Lord, perhaps there's someone here today or listening who is not ready for the day of judgment, who would be the one that was not rescued today, Lord. I pray that like Noah and like Lot, that they will call out to you and accept your rescue, find favor and forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.